Grab your Bibles. We're going to go to Jonah. Jonah chapter 1 still. Jonah chapter 1. And we're just going to read one verse tonight. A little bit of a different, um, not a diversion from the Jonah story, but I just want to kind of talk about one thing specifically that we deal with in the book of Jonah, and that is the disbelief of it. Uh, So Jonah, the, the greatest fish story of all time. It's found in the book of Jonah. And unlike your dad's fish stories, this one's true, uh, all true. But regardless of its truth, uh, this, makes, this, this book is specifically, this story is specifically a big target for skeptics of the Bible. They uh, often go, the age of the earth is a big target, and then they often go to Jonah and the whale, and, uh, or Jonah and the fish. Uh, J. Baxter said, the book of Jonah, more than any other book of Scripture, has been the butt of the scoffer. Uh, James Simpson said of the fish story, no miracle has been more severely scrutinized than the story of Jonah and the fish. Now, disbelief is how many people look at the book of Jonah. They, they see this as an exception or an allegory. They don't accept it as truth. And now, disbelief is worse than unbelief. Uh, we, we use them interchangeably, but really if you break it down, disbelief is uh, worse. Unbelief is incredulity. It's hard to say big words in front of people. It's terribly hard. Try it sometime. Or skepticism, we'll go with that. Disbelief is a mental rejection of something as untrue. Uh, I'll give you an example. In the New Testament, remember the father of the demon-possessed boy asked Jesus, and Jesus, if thou believest, all things are possible. And he, remember what he said? I believe, help thou my unbelief. Bel- unbelief can be overcome. Uh, but disbelief is a mental rejection of something. Uh, so look at the verse I want to read tonight, verse 17, uh, chapter 1. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days Three nights. Now, I want to say at the outset, I believe this is true. I believe it's literal. A fish swallowed him. He was alive for three days and three nights. And at the end, the fish got heartburn because that's what preachers give you, heartburn. And he spit him back out. All right, I believe this to be true. Tonight, I want to talk about it. Disbelief of this. Father, I pray you'd help us tonight, uh, even from this angle of the story that we would use uh, this to strengthen our faith. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So the Bible says Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days, three nights. After that, the fish vomited him out, and he was still alive and well. Now we say alive and well. (laughs) I don't know how well, probably didn't smell too good. Uh, He could have been bleached. His skin might have had splotches from the whales. We don't know what the stomach acids did to him, but he was alive. And well, uh, now many, many people positively and adamantly reject the possibility of this happening. And tonight I want to focus on the problem of disbelief, not only to this story here, but uh, generally to the Bible. And I want you to understand along with me that disbelief has no justification when it comes to the Bible. Jesus himself attacks the disbelief to Jonah's story specifically. He refers to it and uh, refers to it during his ministry. And uh, so we, we understand, number one, I want to talk about here, the, the skeptics discredit their disbelief. 
they, they talk about the disbelief in the fish experience here, but in the process, they discredit themselves by their arguments against it. By the way, can I encourage you, don't be intimidated by Bible rejectors. There's a, there's a book, if you want to borrow it, you're welcome to borrow it. It's called Tactics, and I, I really enjoyed reading it because uh, I forget, somebody in, our, my, uh, somebody in our church here recommended I get it, and I did, and I read it. And uh, I really like the way he, uh, it, it's basically exactly what it says, tactics on how to talk to people about the Bible, about the gospel and such. And one of the things he talked about is Christians always feel the, the brunt of having to explain everything we believe. And scoffers, they ask us the question, we think all the burden of proof is on us. No, not really. And I, I, it kind of changed my thinking in a way to talk to them. If you're talking to an evolutionist, start asking him questions about his beliefs. They're the ridiculous. They've got ridiculous parts to their beliefs or theory. It's not really even science. It's just a theory. But uh, we often let ourselves be put into a theological corner by the questions they ask. Ask some questions back. They, there's just as easy to disprove their theory as it is uh, for them to question the Bible. Um, but the rejection of this story or any story in the Bible doesn't have any good reasons. They'll disguise their disbelief as intellectualism, science, and the like, but it still does not justify disbelief. Now, what are they really disputing here? At the root of it all, they're mocking the miraculous, like uh, one of my favorite presidents. I don't like what he did to the Bible, but Thomas Jefferson. He was a good president for our country, but he has. you can still buy it on Amazon, the Jefferson Bible, and he took an exacto knife and cut out parts of the Bible he didn't like. Wouldn't that be nice? You know, says love, the, your wife has loved the church. I'm going to cut that part out, you know. Uh, no, the Bible is the whole thing, and we're to accept all of it as truth. And so you can't pick out what you don't like. At the root of it all, they mock the miraculous here, and he, that's what he was against, the miraculous and uh, miracles and the, the things that Jesus did. He liked what he taught, but he didn't like the miraculous part of it, and so he took those things out. Now, disputing the miraculous has always been the habit of disbelief. Again, I'm going to use the term disbelief tonight, which is worse than unbelief, because disbelief is willfully rejection of truth. And so in denying the Word of God, uh, this is exactly what the skeptics want to do. So they pick uh, things like this that is a miracle, and then they try to uh, cause doubt in our minds. We need to be careful in responding to skeptics that we don't give credence to them by our explanation. Now, let me explain that because I have been guilty of this, actually probably from this pulpit on this story here. And uh, as I was reading some different things this week, I got a little bit convicted about how I've handled it before uh, because we can give credence. Let me read you a statement by Sidlow Baxter. Modern, modernist theologians, true to their uh, Sadducean lineage, would discredit the book because it relates that which is miraculous. But their own supposedly scholarly explainings so ludicrously contradict each other that we turn back to the Scripture again, preferring the miraculous to the ridiculous. Now, let me just break down what he's saying there. Um, and I fall into this trap myself. Because not every Christian turns from the skeptic to the Scripture. Sometimes we get, sometimes we let them influence us a little bit more than we should. And... What I'm talking about is we try to prove that the Jonah story could have happened by trying to find out a way that naturally it could have happened. In other words, we seek out a fish. What fish could you live in for three days? Uh, there's three stories in history of a man who's been swallowed by a fish, and they, they 
killed the fish and cut him back out again. There's two that are pretty reasonably that it happened. The third one's questionable because it's just a, a story of a friend, friend of a friend of a friend type thing. But uh, so we look, we search the seas for the sort of fish that this might work. And I believe that's a mistake. And again, I've done it in the past too. Uh, there are certain times that certain fish that we've uh, thought this could swallow a man, he could be alive after three days. By the way, all three of those instances were only minutes, not days. Uh, but it's, it's also true here that there's no sea creature who's ever been found who could do what this fish did for Jonah. We could swallow him and for three days he could live inside. Obviously, what we have here is a miracle. And in, in trying to do what I've done in the past and what we do sometimes is we take away the miraculous by trying to explain, no, no, it's really possible this could really happen when it's a miracle. This is a miracle what happened here. For us to try to find a fish like we have in the text here uh, to be able to silence the critics really plays right into their hands. And what we, what we end up doing is discredit the miraculous in the Scripture, which we shouldn't have to do. If we think, by the way, that's going to shut up their mouths anyway, it's not going to. That never answers if we try to prove it by a scientific method because no matter how we try to explain it, they're going to remain unconvinced because the problem is not a lack of explanation. The problem is a lack of belief. Okay? Uh, the, a skeptic is a person who, when he sees the handwriting on the wall, claims it's a forgery. They're not going to accept anyway if they have a heart of unbelief. This is what Jesus dealt with. And remember he said he couldn't do many of the miracles they did because of their unbelief. It's a willful uh, decision not to accept what the Bible says. So we're not required to explain all Bible miracles. Just believe them, accept them. By the way, if the Bible said that a bluegill swallowed Jonah, <laughs> bluegill would have swallowed Jonah. I don't know how, but it's a miracle. But at any rate, uh, that's the problem is they simply refuse to believe. But Why? Why do they attack this part of... Is there more than one miracle in Jonah, by the way, the book of Jonah? Yeah, there's, there's several miracles in the book of Jonah. Uh, one miracle in the book of Jonah is the fact that uh, Nineveh got right. That's a huge miracle. I've held quite a few revival meetings now, nine in our church here, and uh, every, uh, the annual revival meetings. We've never had a revival meeting like that, where a whole city gets right. And not only that, it isn't like the city of Brookings. It's like the city of Las Vegas or pick another Jersey city or whatever other wicked place you want to pick. This was a wicked place. And they all got right with God. They all got saved. They all repented. That's a miracle. But why do they focus so much on the fish part of the miracle? Uh, never in the history of man has a spiritual revival taken place like it did in Nineveh. But they don't notice that miracle. They all go to the fish experience. And one reason is that Jonah's fish experience strongly uh, pictures the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the resurrection of Christ that the critics have to discredit. And Satan always attacks that doctrine. This brings up two questions. First, how do we know that Jonah's fish experience speaks of the resurrection? Well, because Jesus tells us it does. If you go to Matthew twelve forty, you don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. This is what Jesus said. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Matthew 12, 40. As Jonah, so the Son of Man. Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale, and he came out alive. Jesus was three days and three nights in the tomb, and he came out alive. There's a picture there. 
And so Jonah is an excellent type of Christ's resurrection. We have Jesus' own word for it. So why is the resurrection such a significant target for disbelief? They have to attack it. They have to destroy that. And by the way, from day one, they've tried to destroy the resurrection, the truth of the resurrection. Because if Christ isn't risen from the grave, we don't have a Savior. He had to overcome death, uh, which he did. We have no message of salvation if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. The preaching of the gospel, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 14, uh, is vain, and your faith is also vain without the resurrection. He had to resurrect from the dead. If Christ be not risen, then we have no justification. Romans chapter 4, verse 25, because he was raised, the Bible says, for our justification. Without the resurrection, the deity of Christ could not be substantiated. Uh, in Romans 1, 4, Jesus was declared the Son of God by the resurrection of the dead. Is the resurrection important? Yes, it's very important. That's something that we have to accept and uh, as truth. The resurrection was the key to Peter's sermon at the, at the Pentecost. The resurrection was key to Paul's preaching as well. And it's what makes Christianity different than any other religion on the earth today. It's the only religion with a living leader. Uh, you go to Buddha, you can go to his grave. You can go visit Muhammad's grave. You can go visit Confucius' grave and all those guys. Uh, but not Jesus. Well, you can go visit the tomb, but it's empty. Amen? And uh, you don't need to... That, that is uh, the difference between Christianity and false religions. So because of the great importance of the resurrection, Satan's going to attack it in every way he possibly can. And Jonah, in the whale, fish. The New Testament says whale. Great fish, Old Testament. I know a whale is not a fish, technically. It's a mammal, so we can go back and forth on that. But uh, he, he's going to obviously attack this part of it because of the picture it is. Now, that being said, if we can refute, if we can prove false, Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, it discredits the whole thing, doesn't it? Either the Bible is all true, or we can't trust any of it. I have never figured out how people claim to believe most of the Bible, but not all of it. There's, you can't believe all of it, but some of it's good. It's either all good or not any of it's good. If you, if you have a friend that's, you know, they lie sometimes, but they tell the truth the rest of the time, can you trust anything they say? No. Uh, it's got to be either all or none. And uh, if, if he can get us to reject verse 17, he can get us to reject the rest of it. By the way, that's why Satan puts so much emphasis on the first verse, of the first book, or the first verse of the first chapter of the first book, in the beginning God created heaven and earth. That's why he attacks that so much, because if he can get us to doubt that verse, he can, get, he can discount the rest of it as well. Now, the scripture refutes disbelief. When a passage of scripture is attacked, look at the passage, not at the critics. Uh, I don't know if anybody else is victim to this, but I have fallen victim to it too many times. Falling into arguments, whether it be creation, the existence of God, uh, all these type of things on the, uh, the, the basically on the table that the critic sets up, not uh, from the scripture part of it. We need to know what the Bible says, not what the critics would have us think it says. Um, and and skeptics and critics of the Bible commonly uh, they they pervert and twist the Word of God to what they uh, want it to say. So let's look at a few things here. Our text here says the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. For the believer, for us reading it, that should take all the difficulty out of the situation. Because when God's on the scene, anything is possible. Uh, 
But of course, that's exactly what disbelief does not want to be the case. Uh, because disbelief wants to explain things apart from God. And trying to do that is always a study in stupidity when you start to remove God from the picture. Uh, consider some of the things that come from disbelief, the stupid things that come from disbelief. Evolution is one of these idiocies. Uh, again, evolution is a religion. It's not science. They try to sell it as science, but it's a theory. If they're honest, they'll even tell you that too. It's a theory. Uh, and it's become more of a religion because that's, a, that's what they're pushing. But uh, it's an example of this. Leaving out God, disbelief gives us evolution as an explanation of the universe. And this explanation is just as ludicrous as saying the Mona Lisa happened when a bunch of paint spilled and it just all kind of fell together. There was no artist. It just happened. Uh, the Burj Khalifa just rose out of the ground. There was an explosion and you have the... Burj Khalifa or whatever building you want. It had no architect. We look at a building, we know it had an architect. We look at a painting, we know it had an artist, but we look at the universe and it didn't have a designer. It's the only thing, and it's yet far more intricate than all the other things we name. It's ludicrous to think that. That's why the Bible says even nature is proof. Just look around as proof of God. A fool has said in his heart there is no God. But disbelief always wants to take God out of the picture. And uh, skeptics do allow God as a non-entity, but not as a judge of humankind. Uh, I was just watching, uh, I can't think of his name right now. I was just watching a, um, an atheist scientist earlier today because I was uh, wanting to get a quote. I couldn't quite find the quote I was looking for, but uh, they were asking him about Christianity. And he was saying, you know, I, I think it's good for people to have faith, to have a faith that's a positive thing. I don't believe there's a God, but it's good for people to have a faith. And I was thinking, so why? If there's no God, why is it good for people to believe in him? And the, the thing with skeptics and critics of the Bible, they don't care as long, uh, that we have a faith. They don't care that we go to church. Just don't let it infringe on their sin. Uh, don't let it uh, have an expectation of a changed life or, a, or holiness. Just we can't step on that, any of those type of things. But we can have our faith as long as we just keep it away from them. Uh, or as long as it doesn't intrude on their sin. So skeptics have no problem with God as a non-entity, but they do have a problem with him as a judge. And if he's going to, if we're going to have to answer to him one day, that's a problem. So our text brings God on the scene and not only lets God be present, but lets God be God. And this takes away the problem we have with Jonah being swallowed by a fish and living three days and three nights. God was involved in it. And it shows that disbelief has no justification. Look at what the... Bible also says the word prepared, prepared the fish to swallow Jonah. That word, original word, means to appoint or assign. It reminds us of an important truth about the assignments of God. When God calls one to do something for him, he also enables that person to do that thing. The, enable will, the enabling will sometimes uh, include some great changes in our life. Think of the Apostle Paul. Man, he was a persecutor of Christians. And yet God used him to be a great apostle, uh, to, to write much of the New Testament and uh, preach the gospel to many thousands. Uh, God calling the fish to take care of Jonah, there had to be some changes made there too. Uh, again, scientifically, no fish has ever been found that can do for Jonah what the, that fish did. Kept him alive for three days. Uh, the acid should have eaten him. He should have suffocated. He should have died, but he didn't die. 
uh, if the he survived the digestive juices and all the things that you would have to deal with in a stomach. I don't know, has anybody been in a stomach before? I've never been in a stomach. I suppose it's not a pleasant experience. Uh, but Jonah had air to breathe that whole time, evidently. Uh, if he was going to be conscious and communicable, which he was, according to Jonah chapter 2, after this incident, then the fish's stomach had to be prepared or be a little different than what it was. Again, it was a miracle. This is a miraculous thing that happened. And uh, God does that. God could take care of that very easily. He's the creator of the universe. This isn't a problem for him. The same way it isn't a problem for him to raise the dead girl, or Jesus to raise the dead girl in the New Testament, to heal a leper. He's the creator of the universe. He can do these things. Uh, and why can't man, God do what man does anyway? We take metal that sinks in water. And we build a vessel that can house men for many, many days in that water. In fact, I, was, I, I watched a thing on submarines the other day, and uh, nuclear submarines, the only reason they got to come up is to get food for the people in the submarine. It could last 20 years underwater. It just keeps making its own power. Uh, they can go on forever. The only reason they ever have to surface is to get food for the people that are in that sub. Uh, we can do that. Why can't we accept that God can make a submarine for a man for three, three days and three nights? So the word prepared has the right idea here. God did some preparation before Jonah gets in that fish, and he worked a miracle. Uh, there was a provision from God that we see here. The fish would provide for Jonah what he needed to get himself back on track spiritually. We're going to see that and when he uh, finally gets humbled and prays. And then back on land physically. Remember, he's not within swimming distance of land, presumably. So he has to get back on land to get back to where he needs to be. And Jonah had these needs met when he got thrown off the ship. He needed transportation back to land. He got it. Uh, he needed a place to spend some time with the Lord in prayer. He got that too. Uh, God can put us in unpleasant places in our life uh, to get our attention. And he certainly did that with Jonah. Uh, you, it's hard to be rebellious in the belly of a fish, you know. I mean, you, you're pretty, you're all in the mercy of God. And it's hard to continue. You're, you're not running away from God anymore. He's got you. And uh, that's where he had Jonah. Our text doesn't say what kind of fish it was, other than it was a great fish. Uh, the emphasis in our text is uh, not on what kind of fish it was as much as what the work the fish did. And he provided rescue for him. God can provide for his people in miraculous ways. And uh, we, often, we often see circumstances as a limit to what God can do. And God never lets circumstances get in the way of getting what he needs done. Um, he can provide for Jonah. He can surely provide for us as well, uh, regardless of our circumstances. You might not have a fish experience. I hope not. I hope I never have an experience like Jonah had. But he'll work other miracles in your life. And surely if you look back, you'll see some where he's worked out things that are an amazing, amazing thing. Uh, when God is doing the providing, he can use any means he wants to. Remember Elijah on the run? Fed him all that time with birds. They brought meat. I like to think it was through Ahab's window. I don't know where he got the meat, but he fed him. For, brought, ravens brought him food for all that time. He used a fish to bring a coin. Remember Peter had to pay taxes? Jesus is like, you're a fisherman, go fishing. You'll catch a fish and he'll have money in his mouth. That'd be cool, wouldn't it? I've caught a lot of fish. I've never found one money in his mouth. Uh, he used a dumb animal to speak to Prophet Balaam. Uh, he used a donkey to speak to him. 
Uh, our provisions are not limited by our circumstances. Our provisions are limited by God, and uh, he can do what he needs to do. Nobody has ever discovered the limits of God's ability. But if we listen to critics, uh, then we're, gonna think, uh, not, we're not going to think much of God's ability to meet our needs. So again, listen to what the Bible says, not to what the critics say. And Christians ought to be encouraged here because if God provided this for a man that was being flat out disobedient to him, what will he do for his obedient children? And uh, it's a blessing to see that God gave Jonah a second chance. Uh, if, if he provided the needs of a delinquent, how much will he do for those that are dedicated and uh, doing the right thing? But the lesson that I take from this verse here is, is that I don't have to explain human possibility for Bible stories. God worked a miracle in Jonah's life. And you know what? He can work a miracle in your life as well. And he has, and he will. The Bible is not dependent on your defense. Just believe it and live it. And I'm, gl I'm grateful for that. I mean, there was a time that uh, when I was younger, I thought, you know, the Bible depends on me to convince people. It doesn't. Let the Bible do the work. I read this story, and then I'll give you a personal example. A, a skeptic attended a church for four Sundays. The preacher presented the basic beliefs of Christianity. He listened intently to the sermons. After the fourth message... He came forward and received Christ as his Savior. The delighted preacher asked, which of the four sermons led to his decision? He replied, your sermons were helpful, but they were not what persuaded me. He said, after church one Sunday, he was helping an elderly lady on a slippery walk. She looked up into his face and said, I wonder if you know my Savior, Jesus Christ. He's everything in the world to me. And I would like for you to know him too. The skeptic said, that remark sent me home where on my knees I found Christ for myself. And I go back a couple of years, I was working a job in, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and there was a guy, probably for about a month, we went back and forth, arguing back and forth. And it was good nature, and they weren't being nasty or anything, but he was atheist, and he would talk evolution, I would talk creation. We'd go back and forth. I'd have these proofs, he had this proof. And uh, I started just feeling very burdened for his soul. Because you need to be, you know, a situation like that, they don't need to be convinced. They need to be saved. They need to be, they need to be in the heart. But I, I got convicted of my approach that I'm not going to convince him. No, no man is brought to salvation by being, by a scientific and rational arguments. It's a heart decision. And I'm not going to change his mind, and he's certainly not going to change my mind. We're going back and forth and back and forth. And finally, I said something much like this lady did. I, I just said, you know, uh, his name was Pat. I said, Pat, I, just, I wish you could know my Savior. I wish you could know the difference he's made in my life. And, uh, you know, it, more than scientific explanation, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Not going to convince him because of arguments. Nobody's ever argued into Christianity. It's a heart issue. And so it's, I, I believe it's much better for us when we encounter skeptics to verses like this. Show them the love of Christ. Show them what, he, what a relationship to Christ is about. By this shall all men know you're my disciples, if you can explain the miracles. No, no, if you have love for one another. Isn't that something? And we put all this focus sometimes on having to pick... This is what... I, I read this uh, Darwin's... Origin of the Species, 1856, I think, or somewhere in there. You remember what 
I'm sorry. You almost made it tonight. Uh, I, I can't remember exactly when Darwin's Origin of Species came out. But a lot of theologians, like uh, Sch Schofield was one of them, uh, in the Schofield Bible, which I, it was my first Bible, Schofield Reference Bible. I don't have anything against most of it, but in, in, in Genesis 1, he'll have a notation on the bottom that the, the uh, year, the days in Genesis 1, uh, they, they could have represented millions and millions of years. Uh, they call that the gap theory. And a lot of theologians scrambled because of this origin of the species. All of a sudden, there was an accepted origin of the earth, and it was billions of years old, and, we, and the Bible, we can't look foolish, and so the Bible has to fit science. The Bible never has to fit science. It's the other way around. And I'm grateful that now we have, like Pastor mentioned, Ken Ham and, and other creationists, that they aren't buckling to it. We understand the Bible supports creationists much more than it supports evolutionists. But there was a, a, a period of time where we thought we had to adapt the Bible to what uh, scientific theory says. And we never have to do that. Just believe it. Just live it. And the Bible has never been proven to be wrong. All right, It's not going to be proven to be wrong in the future. And uh, so let's just, uh, rather than trying to fit a skeptic's box, let's just show them the love of Christ, and that will make a difference in their lives. Amen? Thank you, Father, for the challenge here from Scripture. We pray that you would help.